of Revelation, chapter 18. We're studying the book of Revelation on Sunday mornings and uh, have made our way all the way to chapter 18. In verse 1, after these things, uh, John writes, the Apostle John, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, is beca- and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all of the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Render her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works, and the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. And the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, uh, luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a king and am no uh, widow, and I will not see sorrow. And therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object object of the most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, uh, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and the bodies of soul uh, the and bodies and souls of men the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you and all of the things which are rich and splendid have are have gone from you and you shall find them no more uh, at all and the merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment weeping and wailing and saying alas alas that great city was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour, the uh, 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 such uh, great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by sea, sailors, as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cry out when they saw when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying. What is this great city? What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, the great city in which 
all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she was made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. And then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone, threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and all who were slain on the earth. That's a mouthful. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, you making us as your children, your workmanship. Thank you for the beautiful thing that you are creating of our life out of your grace and your faithfulness that we've sung about today. We're thankful for the person that you're making us into and every little bit of progress that is being made to conform us into the image of your Son. Thank you for the privilege of turning to your word today. We thank you that it never returns void. It always accomplishes what it is intended to accomplish And we pray, Lord, that whatever this passage is intended to accomplish, both large and small, in our thoughts and our thinking, our perspectives, our attitudes, that all of those things would be accomplished. And we ask for this work of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As we've seen, chapters 17 and 18 constitute a parenthetical passage in the book of Revelation and the final parenthetical passage in which God interrupts the progression, the chronological progression of the book in order to kind of camp on a couple of things that are important for us to know so that we can fully understand the chronology of the events that he wants us to uh, understand. Chapter 17, as we've seen, detailed Uh, details God's future judgment of a religious Babylon that will exist in the world during the tribulation period. And then chapter 18 describes his judgment upon a commercial uh, Babylon during the tribulation period. It appears that the destruction of the religious Babylon is going to occur in the somewhere close to the three-and-a-half-year mark of the seven-year tribulation period. It appears that the destruction of this commercial Babylon is going to happen sometime in the latter half of of that tribulation uh, period. Before we turn to the details of the chapter, I think it's important to understand what commercial Babylon uh, is and what it isn't so that we don't misapply it uh, to our lives. Commercial Babylon refers to an economic system or a commercial system under uh, the Antichrist that is going to be based upon the principles of ancient Babylon. And the single great mark of ancient Babylon uh, was idolatry. And so commercial Babylon speaks of 
a world economic or commercial system that fights against God, competes with God, endeavors to do so uh, at least uh, for a place of supremacy in the hearts and the minds and the souls and the strength uh, of, uh, of people. And so it makes an idol of material things and contrary to Jesus' teaching, it seduces the world uh, into thinking that life really does consist in the abundance uh, of the things that one possesses. In verse 23, this commercial Babylon seduces the world, and that word seduced is used there uh, in that uh, verse, and it seduces people uh, into making materialism, in, into making the accumulation of material things the master passion of their lives. And this uh, system, this commercial system, uh, both in the future but also today, it tells the world that this is where satisfaction in life is found. This is where life itself is found. This is where uh, meaning and fulfillment is found. It is found in the accumulation of uh, material things. Living for more and uh, living for uh, bigger and bigger and better uh, and better. And God hates it, this system that calls Jesus a liar about where the meaning of life is truly found and it competes with God for his rightful place in the hearts and the minds and the souls of every single person uh, in the world. And I, I will leave it to you to guess how many people today in the United States and around the world have already been seduced by this message that life is found in the abundance of the things that one possesses and, and uh, live under the weight of that religion, uh, that, that Babylon, that form of Babylon, uh, even long before this commercial Babylon uh, comes on the scene. Now, this chapter is not a condemnation of making a living uh, it isn't a condemnation of having nice things or even being uh, prosperous. The Bible teaches that as we obey God's Word, and uh, as His Word tells us to be honest in our dealings with people, to work hard in, in the jobs that we hold, and uh, to be industrious, all of these things that it commands us to be, that in general, it's going to lead to a life of prosperity. It's going to lead to a life, lead to a life of material uh, prosperity. And, uh, and so the law of Moses is filled with this kind of thing where uh, if you disobey, then here is the curse upon disobedience. If you obey, here are the blessings. There are blessings found and, and material blessings found in obeying uh, God. The book of Proverbs is just filled with this uh, kind of instruction, but also the promises uh, that are uh, given to the person who is diligent in their work as opposed to being a, a sluggard or a, a lazy person. And, and so it is elsewhere in the Bible as well. But this doesn't mean that, that these things, as they lead to prosperity in our lives, that this kind of wealth should be uh, selfishly amassed 
uh, to ourselves uh, or that this kind of wealth is to be spent then on uh, foolish or uh, obscene luxury or becoming as materialistic and as covetous as Christians as the world uh, uh, around us. Jesus correctly taught us uh, 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 take heed and beware of covetousness for life, one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. The Holy Spirit adds to this through the Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verse 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Having a relationship with God and whatever God adds to our lives out of that relationship, that's great gain. That's, that's reaching the pinnacle in life. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into t temptation and a snare, and, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition, for the love of money uh, is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, without warnings like this in the Bible, even we could as, as Christians, and, and certainly most people in a materialistic society will be prone to accumulate just enough material things that it will take every bit of our time and all of our resources and energies to take care of those things. Until all of my time is going into the physical realm, into my possessions. And then there's no time uh, to listen to God, no time to develop my relationship with God, no time to be concerned uh, and learn what His call and His purpose is for our life, much less to uh, then engage in His plan uh, for our lives. Years ago in uh, Siam, what is now modern-day Thailand, if the king of Siam liked a person, he would give that person a, a rare white elephant as a, a blessing, as a sign of his friendship, as a sign of his favor upon that person. But if the king hated someone, he would give them two or three white elephants. Because any gift that the king of Siam gave to you, you could not sell or give away. And, uh, and so now you have to feed and to groom and to care for these white elephants for the rest of their lives. And the king knew that it would take all of his enemies' time, all of their energy, all of their concentration to uh, maintaining these white elephants uh, as opposed to uh, anything else in life. And life is like that where we uh, don't have white elephants foisted upon us, but we eagerly can bring them into our lives uh, on our little old lonesome selves. Uh, the Apostle Peter wrote in this regard, he said, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, all of the creation is going to be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? Well, certainly not a materialist. If everything is going to one day uh, melt with a fervent heat and be gone, then it's a folly to live supremely for, for material things. And so no one should live supremely for what we will lose at death 
and, uh, but rather to live for God and live for eternity. Jesus uh, declared concerning this, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's the old joke about the, uh, the two uh, men that were walking down the street as a hearse drove by carrying the body of a, a well-known multi-millionaire uh, in their village. And the one man asked the other, how much did he leave? And the other responded, all of it. And uh, that's the truth concerning all of us. We will leave all of it uh, one day behind. Why would I worship something that I'm going to not be able to take from this life and into the life uh, to come? Now, we do need to take a moment, I think, to marvel at this prophecy of a one-world global economic uh, system. So international trade has always existed in human history. And it certainly existed uh, very strongly in the Roman uh, Empire. And, and so nations trading with one another at the time that this book was written, the time of the Roman uh, Empire, a lot of trade going on. But what we have here in chapter 18 is a one-world economic system that is so interconnected and is so self-interdependent uh, that God is able to bring all of it to a screeching halt uh, by bringing judgment on just a single city. Whatever city will represent the capital of this, uh, this economic system under the Antichrist. It wasn't that long ago, certainly within my lifetime, that most of the nations of the world were engaged in this awful thing in the minds of many people, what was called nationalism. Uh, nations endeavored to be as self-sufficient uh, and independent in terms of their dependence upon other nations as they possibly uh, could be. And the, uh, the one-world economy that we see described here would have been thought of as improbable a hundred years ago, much less 2,000 years ago when this was written. But today, it's not improbable at all as we see the world economy around us. You look at how interconnected the economies of the world are, how interdependent the economies of the world are. So you have a part of the world that builds the automobiles that the world drives. And then another part of the world supplies the oil uh, to fuel those vehicles. You have one country that provides the raw materials for the building of industrial goods. And then you have another that provides the labor. Uh, one country or several countries that grow the food, the overwhelming uh, amount of food for, that the world requires and then it sells that food to other nations for computers and computer chips and medical uh, uh, instruments. And even when you have an economy as massive as the economy of the United States uh, of America, 
We are not, uh, we are the biggest importer uh, of goods from other countries uh, in the entire world. And so we have become, uh, even as the greatest, yet the greatest economy in the world, very inter- interdependent upon uh, the rest of the world. And so uh, there may be moves, I think, back to uh, nationalism between now and the time of the tribulation period. But ultimately, the Antichrist is not only going to head a one-world government, but he is going to head a one-world economy as well. The destruction of commercial Babylon is given to us in verses 1 through 8. And in verse 1, after witnessing the destruction of uh, religious Babylon in chapter 17, the Apostle John then uh, witnesses an angel, another angel coming, uh, having great authority, we're told, and the earth was illumined with his glory. So again, these interesting little snapshots of the angelic realm in the book of Revelation. Here is a, here is a angel probably coming from the presence of God, having uh, His Shekinah glory upon Him, but He radiates His glory uh, in a way that illuminates the earth. He declares or pronounces in verse 2 the fall of Babylon. And again, uh, this Babylon is a large prosperous city that is somehow going to be the economic and commercial uh, center or headquarters uh, of the world. Now, there's some Bible students that believe that when uh, Babylon is referred to here, that the actual city of of Babylon will be rebuilt in the last days or rebuilt during the tribulation period and then become uh, this economic uh, center for uh, for the world and uh, complete with uh, the Euphrates River being developed into a a ship-bearing river. But all of it seems, that seems pretty unlikely given the fact that in verses 17 through 19 it's clearly described as a seaport and and Babylon will never be a seaport. Others believe that this this refers to a seaport city uh, like London uh, or New York or Rotterdam and uh, uh, which is here referred to symbolically as as Babylon uh, in the same way that Jerusalem is referred to in the book of Revelation symbolically as Egypt and and Sodom. And that's that's the view that, that I hold. You can hold whatever view you like. The angel gives the reasons for the judgment of commercial Babylon in verses 2 and 3. It had become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every uh, unclean, uh, hated bird. And so this commercial Babylon is going to be completely dominated uh, by the demonic uh, uh, realm and by demonic spirits, a haven uh, in the world for all that God calls unclean and He calls uh, sinful. So there's a a demonic spirit that is uh, behind, a demonic spirit that's involved uh, not only in this time during the tribulation period, but even today, that's involved in turning people away from God and toward the worship of material things. And if you don't think that Satan is uh, very, very good at uh, uh, using covetousness to uh, it, it, uh, lead people into bondage, uh, all of that was in full display, of course, in Judas Iscariot, 
who, uh, under the influence uh, of the devil, sold Jesus out for a a measly 30 pieces uh, of silver. And the devil is doing the same thing. Uh, People holding out for more uh, to walk away from Christ or ignore Christ all the days of their life. Other people walking away from him for uh, far less. But there's a demonic spirit behind all of it. In verse 3, all of the nations were told, will have drunk uh, of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The whole world is going to follow her. Uh, into this idolatry. You look at the world today, what is the master passion of the world today? The master passion, when push comes to shove, it is materialism. It is, uh, it is uh, covetousness and, and wealth. When there are elections in our nations, and we, ha- in our nation, we have elections uh, coming up now, and certainly it's true during uh, presidential elections, but it's true of this election coming up in, in November. What's the most important issue to people? The issue is always the economy. It is always the, uh, the economy. Uh, the, you never hear, uh, it, it, whatever news uh, group you have, you never see people saying, well, the most important thing uh, to me in the upcoming uh, election uh, is uh, righteousness uh, or holiness uh, or uh, a return to godliness. Uh, you never see that in the 30 percentile or the 60 percentile. It's all of these other issues and always the economy uh, at the top. And all of it's a preparation, this is, even today, uh, of the world. Uh, and all of its, this preparation is very well developed where more and more people essentially declaring, I would vote for the devil himself. If he'll just give me a job and the promise of material uh, prosperity. And uh, people, uh, the average person is not very far away from that. And what they don't realize is how dangerous that is and how close it is to happening one day. You notice in verse 3, 2, the kings of the earth, they've committed fornication uh, with her. The, uh, this world uh, economic system is going to seduce the kings of the earth. It's going to become more powerful than kings. It is going to become more powerful than nations. It will be more powerful uh, than, than governments. So you'll have kings, political leaders, who will be willing to compromise every command uh, of, of God's Word in order to have a significant place uh, in this commercial Babylon. And of course, we see the same thing uh, going on even today. Uh, the, the compromises that people are willing to take in order to attract this industry or that industry or uh, to, to have a, a place or a piece of the pie in, uh, in, in these kind of economic systems, uh, no matter uh, how ungodly they might be. You notice in verse 3, 2, the merchants of the earth will become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And so the merchants of the earth will be willing to uh, sell their souls uh, in this system in order to become rich in this godless commercialism, and they're going to make a lot of money, and they're going to just say, God is nothing, money is everything, and that's the way it's going to be during the tribulation period. 
In verses 4 through 8, another voice comes from heaven. It's God's voice, and He calls on His people. He calls on tribulation saints, people who have become Christians during the tribulation period. He calls on them to get out uh, of this commercial uh, Babylon, to leave this uh, city so they don't get caught in, in her uh, judgment or get caught in her, her sin. And uh, these are referring to uh, innocent tribulation saints. They are probably living in all kinds of different cities uh, in, in the world, living underground, being unwilling to take the mark of the beast and so forth. And so some of them will have found refuge in this city. And uh, God tells them to leave that city in, in particular before this judgment. And of course, it's always wise to separate ourselves from what God has said He will judge uh, in, in the world. Her sins, we're told in verse 5, have reached up to heaven. In other words, they've now gotten God's uh, attention. They've always got His attention, but symbolic language and, and that God has remembered her iniquity. So here you have a world, a commercial economic system, and a world that doesn't believe in God. Uh, but God believes in it. God believes in what he's seeing with his own eyes. And, and he will uh, take it all in and he'll judge it. And in verse 6, the voice then calls for a double judgment to be repaid to her. Uh, she's not going to escape judgment for what she has uh, done to people and leading them away from God and leading them into materialism. Under the law of Moses, a thief was required to pay uh, twice the amount uh, of what it is that uh, he had stolen from someone else. And so here you see the, the, uh, the bringing of, of the, the Word of God, uh, the righteousness of God brought against this, uh, this system. She's going to be repaid for all of the evil and the wickedness that she does in order to live in luxury and in order to uh, gain her glory. Her pride, verse 7 in it, she considers herself to be indestructible. She's beyond judgment. She will become bigger than individual nations. She will become bigger than uh, individual governments. And, uh, and she will get uh, fat and sassy in her attitude related to all of this and think nobody can uh, touch me. Uh, she's going to consider herself to be uh, too big to fail. Uh, nothing can control her. And uh, of course, she forgets that there is a God that is greater than the governments of the world who's watching all of it and, and will uh, put a kibosh on, uh, on it. Nothing's too big to fail, uh, which fights with God for the attention uh, of, of people. It's just a matter of time before it reaches a tipping point and God steps in and then, then He judges it. Now, in verse 8, uh, her plagues will come in one day, we're told. Uh, death, mourning, famine, she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord who judges her. This judgment will occur not over a long period of time, but it will occur in one day. And the, and the phrase one day, one hour, one hour, one hour, repeated four times in the passage. It will be, uh, the city will be, 
one hour it will be there in all of its glory and in all of its pride and one hour later uh, it will be uh, uh, destroyed and so uh, God is able to bring the economy of the world to a screeching halt and to destruction in an instant. So here you're going to have the collapse of a world economy, not because of the ineptness of leaders or economists in in the world, but because God will bring uh, it it to an end in uh, in his own time and do so uh, in an instant. The reaction uh, on, on the earth to her destruction is given to us beginning in verse 9. Uh, the lamentation of the kings of the earth in verses 9 and 10. They will be shocked at the destruction of the city. It's always shocking to have your God die before your eyes. Uh, what you thought was going to go on forever and ever and constituted the meaning uh, of life. And they will see it destroyed right before uh, their, their eyes. And uh, they're going to be powerless to do anything about it. Powerless to save the city. The most, the most they will be able to do is sit at a distance and lament the destruction of the city, but they won't approach it. They have no power. To, to turn around what it is that, that happens here. And then you see in verses 11 through 17, the lamentation of uh, the merchants over her destruction, and they weep and mourn, not at the destruction of the city in the terms of, of the loss of life or the, the uh, terrible oppression that has go, gone on uh, inside uh, of the city behind uh, the underground economy that fuels the whole thing. There's no weeping for that. They just weep over the loss of their uh, revenue uh, stream. And uh, the merchandise of commercial Babylon that it will trade in is described in verses 12 uh, through 13. The list includes about 28 uh, uh, items. I'm certainly not going to go through them uh, individually, but it's just enough to notice two things about that list. First, the items list listed will come from all around the world. And again, a a New Testament reader in the first century reading this list would have realized as a member of the Roman Empire that these goods came into the Roman Empire from all around the world. And so here you're going to have, uh, again, speaking to the fact that it's going to be a one-world interdependent uh, economy. And so you have, uh, at the time of Rome, uh, gold came from Spain. Precious stones came from India. Linen came from Egypt. Citron wood came from Africa. Silk came from China. Uh, Various foodstuffs that are listed. They came from Europe. They came from Africa. They came from uh, the Middle East. And again, testifying to a one-world economic system. The second thing to notice about the list is that the items that are listed here um, are luxuries. Uh, They are not necessities. Even when flour and wheat are listed here, you would say, well, that's a a necessity. That's not a luxury. But you notice it's spoken of as fine flour and fine wheat. In other words, it's the top of the line uh, 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 stuff. And so uh, this is the, it's a luxury. The world will have just go crazy Uh, and over luxury, wanting more, wanting better uh, at that time. 
Now, this is not condemning. Sometimes people can be made, especially if you have kind of a legalistic bent, you can put a lot of people under condemnation over this. And you can take a person that is maybe working long hours in one job, uh, working maybe two or three jobs to keep uh, food on the table or a roof over their head or their family's head uh, and clothing on everyone's back and saying, you work so hard, you know, you're you're just invested in commercial uh, Babylon. That's not what this is talking about at all. Uh, we need to, uh, this is a, a reality in life where we work hard to provide the necessities. This is another thing. This is about all about um, uh, luxury, working hard for necessities. It doesn't mean I'm a part of commercial Babylon. We're talking about overworking here to be uh, rich. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4, do not overwork uh, to be rich. Because of your own understanding, cease. Stop it. (laughs) Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. Now to me, the most disturbing aspect of commercial Babylon as it's described here, and the the most disturbing uh, part of the list that is given to us Uh, here is found uh, in verse 13, the latter part of it, where it describes commercial Babylon uh, merchandising the bodies and the souls of men. And so here you have uh, this commercial Babylon uh, after its open contempt of God. Right behind it you have uh, the, the, uh, the ugliest side of, of commercial uh, Babylon uh, and, and that it deals with the bodies and the souls uh, of men. And, and since this commercial Babylon, both now and then, it doesn't exist out of any concern, no concern for God, and any system that has no concern for God is very, very quickly going to have no concern for man. Uh, and that's exactly what is going to happen at, at that time. It's only going to be out for making money, and the bodies and the souls of men are unimportant uh, to it. And so the men and women of the world, they simply exist in the eyes of this commercial system as uh, something that just exists as fodder to feed the economic uh, machine. And so here is a commercial system where the machine becomes more important uh, than people. And so uh, treating people as if they're animals, treating them as if they are machines, as if they are without a soul, as if uh, they were not and are not created uh, in the image of God, as if uh, people are free to use them and abuse them uh, as they, they like, to use their strength, to use their vitality and to simply supply the upper crust of the world with their luxuries. And then to just crush, crush people, to use up their youth, their, their energies, their strength, their everything, and then throw them away 
like a squeezed orange rind after uh, it's done in in the making of of orange juice and you just throw it away on a pile and you just grab another group of people uh, just like the other ones that you used up and have now thrown to the wayside. And in this system, people are nothing and the machine is everything. Unbelievable wealth being amassed and achieved on the backs uh, of the health and the welfare of the poor and the powerless. And so money uh, being the sole consideration and the decision uh, making concerning the economic uh, realm and corporate decision making as opposed to being tempered by the two great commands of God. Uh, And that is to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second like unto it, as Jesus said, to love our neighbor uh, as ourself. And, uh, And this is where commercial Babylon will go without the safeguards uh, that God and His Word uh, places on it. And it will be unspeakably terrible, and it will do terrible, terrible harm and be worthy of God's uh, judgment. It isn't that a business shouldn't make money. Of course, every business needs to make money to stay in, in business. It's not even that a business person or business owners or business cannot demand a full day's work for a full day's pay uh, of its employees. It doesn't even mean that there won't be times in which a business or a corporation can't pay their employees what they would like to pay them. Uh, That doesn't make uh, that kind of a a place a commercial uh, Babylon. Uh, but it's never ever to go where commercial Babylon goes, and that is people are nothing, people are expendable, and the machine is everything. And if you don't feel that we're moving very strongly in that direction worldwide, then you're not paying attention. The number of people in the world today who are modern-day slaves involved in human trafficking around the world, whether it's associated with forced labor, whether it's associated with criminal activity, uh, forcing them into criminal activity, whether it has to do with the sexual uh, trade or whether it has to do with the uh, organ transplant trade that, that goes on around the world. This population in the world is estimated at between 38 and 46 million people. And you hardly ever hear about it. And it's the world's preparation for commercial Babylon. And that preparation is well underway. People mean nothing. Money means everything. Now the shipmasters, their reaction in verses 17 through 19 their part in the commercial Babylon has been to transport the goods. And uh, so they're going to stand at a distance watching the smoke uh, of her uh, burning. They'll say, what is like this great city? It will be unbelievable to them that the city is gone uh, in, in an hour. 
And, and then you notice the reaction in heaven in verses 20 to 24 over the destruction of commercial Babylon. There'll be a call to, in heaven uh, to rejoice, including the holy apostles, uh, prophets, for God has avenged, verse 20, the world's uh, persecution and ill treatment uh, of the righteous. So, the wicked and the ungodly are going to be lamenting and weeping over the destruction of this uh, commercial uh, Babylon. Heaven is going to rejoice. And when you see God uh, it declaring that God has avenged you, speaking of the apostles and prophets, on them, so often throughout human history, it's been God's people. And even so, even today, in, in large parts of the world, it is Christians who are taken into this kind of slavery or put into this kind of economic uh, hardship or uh, are uh, to be slaves to fuel this kind of an economy or many, many of God's people martyred for standing against this, this kind of abuse of people. And verse 24 speaks of this as well. A mighty angel will then take a great stone like a great millstone, a millstone is big, throw it out into the sea as a demonstration of how violent and how complete the destruction of commercial Babylon will be. I don't know about you, but whenever I was, when I was a kid and we'd go to a lake or any kind of body of water, we would look for the biggest stone we could throw as far as we could uh, into the body of water, and then you see it make the splash, and then instantly uh, it, it is gone. And so, very poetic language for the destruction of the city. And then in verses 22 to 23, there's a list of all of the things that will never be heard in the city again, never be done uh, in the city of, again. And in verses 23 and 24, the reasons for her destruction are given once again. For her merchants were the great men of the earth. Her, the world's idols, the world's heroes will be merchants. That, those are the, the people that are going to be uh, making the headlines. Who's worth how much now? What did they buy now? And, and, uh, and the idols of, of the world at that time won't be prophets or saints or, uh, or, or the godly or the righteous. It will be these merchants. And it is exactly where our world is today in large part. And all of it, uh, the Bible declares here, uh, in verse, uh, verse 24, 23, 24, all of it is to come under the sorcery, the pharmakia, to come under the influence, like with a drug uh, of materialism and the sorcery of believing that a man's life consists in the things that he possesses. And so for those of us as Christians here uh, this morning, even though we're not going to be present during the tribulation period, we're not going to see all of this in full uh, bloom, it helps me to be reminded of a couple of things here. It helps me to be reminded as we see this building all around us, even yet today, that people are far more important to God than money. They always have been and they always will be. And that people do not exist in this world 
for the world then to use them for merely providing the fuel to be used and abused by uh, other mere men for the advancement of some economic machine that might then enrich uh, only a relative few. And for people to just be heartlessly used up and then just thrown to the wayside, forgotten, and a fresh batch uh, uh, grabbed, and so on, uh, ad infinitum. And it helps me to be reminded of, the, uh, of how important people are uh, to God as we see them becoming less and less important in the eyes of many employers and corporations Uh, The money is the bottom line. You have to make money. But once once capitalism is not constrained in some way by God, then uh, it turns into something that just treats people in this way uh, uh, inhumanely. And uh, once people are treated in that way, now, whether it's now or whether it's during the tribulation period, We're now engaged in commercial Babylon, and we're engaged in full-blown idolatry. The second thing that is important to learn here, I think, is that it's clear that capitalism is going to dominate uh, the world in the last days. Communism is not going to prevail. This is a clear picture of uh, the prevailing of of, uh, capitalism, even as capitalism dominates the world today. But this passage also allows me to view capitalism with eyes wide open and to realize that capitalism, uh, given the alternatives, uh, as good as it is, uh, that it can become a great evil when it is no longer governed by God, when it competes with people for their devotion to God and God's place in their lives, and then it uh, ceases to love their fellow man uh, as themselves. And once it starts to operate independent of God, this is where it will go. And so uh, when it does, it demands, again, a a devotion uh, of people, a commitment of people, that can only safely uh, belong to God. And then once it has demonstrated no regard for God, it will show itself to have no regard for people either. What fascinates me here is that God takes the time in uh, chapter 18 to detail the destruction of commercial Babylon. Why do it? Why not just leave all of this unsaid and then we can just assume that what would happen if it wasn't uniquely destroyed by God in this way, that it would then be destroyed by the final seven bold judgments. But why does God destroy this city specifically 
in, in order to make the point that he's, he's making here, as opposed to just letting it be destroyed with everything uh, else. Why not let it uh, die under the weight of the bold judgments? And I'm inclined to believe that it's because this system, throughout history, precursors uh, of this system, has led as many people away from God, giving him their rightful, uh, his rightful place in their life and in their hearts as any formal religion, chapter 17 has, if the truth were made known about people's hearts down through human uh, history. And thus it is uh, worthy of the special uh, judgment it receives. If you sit here this morning and you are not yet a Christian, Jesus said this in, this, in the regard to what we're talking about here today. He said, For what shall it profit a man if he gains the entire world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? That is, if you were able to sell your soul and come into possession of every square inch of this planet and all of its power and all of its wealth, Jesus declares that you will have made a terrible bargain, yet uh, much less to sell my soul for far, far less as most people do. Because our soul is eternal, and this world is not eternal. We will leave all of it behind one day. And you have been created for a relationship with God. And that, and He is where you will find forgiveness and fulfillment and satisfaction and joy. You will never find it in commercial Babylon, in material things, and then upgrading those things for the remainder of your life. And so, uh, don't miss heaven because of this seduction of commercial uh, Babylon. The idea that life consists in the abundance of the things that you possess. It doesn't. It's a lie. And if you would like to begin a personal relationship with God by putting your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins this morning, we would love to pray with you to do that this morning. And there are going to be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service. We'd love to answer your questions and to uh, pray for you. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer.